0: this is Evan at Stride. Please enjoy part two of our For the Love of Running webinar series, audio version with Tom Tinman Schwartz. In this episode, he will be answering some of the listener questions that were asked in the webinar that he was so kind to join us on. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Enjoy the episode. We do have a couple listener questions that kind of trickled in uh, and I wanted to ask you this one first, this is from, uh, Steve Palladino and he says, uh, can you please have Tom talk a bit about mixed intensity workouts? So some people out there, mm-hmm. you know, in the running world are familiar with, um, just kind of general structure of how different coaches and different groups structure their training. But, um, maybe this would be a, yeah, a good time for you to talk about mixing intensity with workouts because maybe the regular, mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, the regular recreational runner, amateur runner isn't familiar with the concept, but uh, maybe you can talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your your system and how you do that.
1: Sure, sure. And that's a great co- uh, question by a, a great coach. Mm-hmm. Coach Palladino is a good coach. Okay. The concept is the important first is important starting point. The concept that I originated back in the 1980s is simple. It doesn't take much to get the effect. Mm-hmm. Right. Take a look at mileage as, as, as an example away from, say, the quality that Coach Palladino was talking about. We know we know from research that if you run roughly 25 miles per week, you're going to have about a 25 percent improvement in your endurance. That's pretty close. When you double your mileage to 50, you have half of that. And then when you double it again, another half. You see how you lose as you double increase the amount. That was my concept. I noticed, for example, that if I ran as a 14-year-old, that if I went from three miles per day all the way up to six miles per day, I really improved my performance a lot in the 10K road races I was doing. But I noticed when I would go up even to nine miles, I would try to do nine miles when I was 14, 15 years old, the improvement was a small amount. And so it, it, it occurred to me that we can get a lot for a little. Taking this now into the realm of interval training, which was in my understanding at the time of something that I wanted to evaluate, my understanding was that if I ran six quarters, six times a quarter on the, uh, during the track season, or whatever, I would have a certain amount of improvement, say three seconds in my mile time or three seconds per lap. Okay. But what if I did 12? I might only improve one second by doubling it, but I increased my injury rate by three or four times. Okay, so maybe a happy medium is what I was thinking. Maybe maybe somewhere between the 6 and 12 is just right. And, what if, and that concept applies to all of the interval training realm. There's a certain point where you have diminishing returns. More reps is not necessarily better. So if it's possible, for example, let's use vo2 max is an example if it's possible to get all the benefits for the individual by running five times 800 for that person let's say the, the person that runs uh, runs them in 230 that's their vo2 max something that can run for six seven minutes all out why do we need to have them do six seven eight repetitions of 800 when five gets gets the job done okay if we get to the point where we've run all five of them and we've derived all the benefits before we have diminishing returns, can we not add on shorter quality, quality maybe 200 meter repeats to work on speed development, speed endurance, something to that effect, right? Because we still have the capacity to do eight, seven, six, seven, eight times 800, don't we? So let's stop at five. And use the extra energy we would have had to run seven or eight reps to run some 200s or some hill repeats or something else or some short sprints. Okay. So I'm just saying that we tend to think that we just got to add more, do as many repetitions as we possibly can handle at that intensity and keep going with that intensity. I say, wait, maybe two thirds of the way through the maximum you can do. That's enough because you've got all the benefits. You've stimulated your body's, you know, various systems to develop all the effects. So let's add on something else. That was kind of my concept in, back in the day, and it's 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 proved to be accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the key to the to applying the concept is saying, look, I don't need to have separate workouts. I don't need to do repeat eight hundreds on Tuesday at two thirty, and then on friday i need to do 12 200s and 30 seconds i can combine it and say i'll stop it at uh, instead of doing six 800s i might do four 800s on tuesday and then add on six 200s and what what you're also doing is simulating what happens in a race right because you close fast
0: right Right. Well, and that's the goal for starting a little bit below, like pr- practicing everything in the entire system is in- encouraging it. If you don't have that ability, like you're writing in the training to be able to close fast, then you can't possibly run at that just below the effort. And then at the end, start to crank it up. So it's tying it all together. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And and and, and it's very possible. I do it all the time um, with my athletes dependent upon what part of the developmental phase whether they're six months or three months away from their target event or six six weeks away i restructure the order of it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i don't necessarily do all the slow reps at first and all the fast reps at the end right that is the best approach in my view if you lack endurance lack stamina Mm In other words, uh, the generic understanding is among my elite athletes, we're focusing on st- uh, strength. Sure. strength, 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 because that's a conventional understanding. And that's right. totally fine, mm-hmm. right? So the strength approach is we do the longer repetitions at slower paces early in the workout, and we do the shorter repetitions, whether they're on the flat track or up a hill or mm-hmm. whatever you decide to do at the end. Okay, that's a strength approach. That works fantastic because it that basically serves the purpose of base training. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right.
0: It sets the base. Yeah. For
1: I've had several sprint coaches right away say to me, How come you don't put, or sprint coaches who end up becoming uh, put into the role of having to coach distance runners in sure. high school or college teams? Because I've been an advisor to a lot of university <laughs> run, uh, coaches. And they will ask me, How come you don't put speed first? Because when they start off, at the beginning of the race, they're going out fast. I said, well, first of all, you're making the assumption that putting the, some speed at the end of a workout, like I do with the strength approach, somehow is not going to help you at the start of a race. Right. It is. Right. It is. And you don't have to sprint maximum at maximum speed to get speed benefits. Mm-hmm. You don't. Right. Right. Okay, probably for a distance runner, no, they never need to run all out. They need to know, go no faster than 400-meter speed ever because what you're doing is increasing their risk of injury enormously by right. going with maximum sprint, and they never get to even 400-meter speed hardly ever Right during a race. Right? Cross-country races, let me give you an example. If you raced effectively in a 5K cross-country race in your high school kid, you raced effectively, I meaning you you didn't go out at an insanely fast pace, like and follow the pack, and you just ran your own steady pace that you could hold, and gradually got to the you know gradually maybe ramped it up a little bit or held the fastest even pace you could, mm-hmm. and then started coming down, uh, increasing the speed the last kilometer. What you'll find is you can run the last 30 to 30 to 60 seconds, depending upon – how many races you've done?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Last thirty to sixty seconds, you will run at your one mile racing speed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have literally timed even collegiate runners in the last four hundred meters of their of their eight or ten k race, and they never exceed their mile speed. Right. Never. But if you asked them at the race, how fast were you running? They, <laughs> oh, I was running maximum speed. Do you realize you never even broke one mile race speed the last quarter mile? Right. Okay, 5K, you watch high school 5K guys, they never run faster than the last quarter mile. They never break one mile racing speed average. Right. Now, if they waited until 200 meters to go, they might run the last 200 meters at closer to 800 meter racing speed. Mm -hmm. So really a high school, I always say a high school kid, you don't need to run faster than 800 probably you know if you're doing if you're doing 200 meter reps four of them mm-hmm. four four 200s at 800 meter speed is plenty of speed training cuz you're not going to go faster than that during a high cross country season right right and even even a kid who runs the 1600 meters in high school right mm-hmm. let's say he's a 440 kid and he runs 70 per lap right if he paces himself and doesn't go out in 66 or 65 which is which is not as not not a good strategy, but he right. goes out pretty close to 70. Maybe he's 69 and change, then he's 70, and then he's 71 and change. He gets to the last lap, he'll probably run it at 68, something like that. Right. But really, it's over the last 200 that he's mm-hmm. picking it up. Right. Right, because he starts kicking too soon, he can't hold it, and he slows down. Right. But he's not even going faster than his 800-meter speed. His last his last 200, if he's really good, is 33. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, that's his 800 meter speed, right? You see, yeah, okay. I don't yeah. know how I segwayed it onto that, but yeah, I'm no. reminded of these kinds of concepts when, when questions are asked, that, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and we're trying to figure out how to practically apply them, right? Uh, I hopefully answered Coach Palladino's uh, question there,
0: yeah, uh, to and I some one, degree. I'd want like addition onto that Uh, when people maybe look at a a system and they say, oh, it's mixed intensity, it's not every workout and every single, uh, you know, hard and intense day is a mixed intensity session like the long run doesn't also always include like hard stuff at the end, like you're not mixing stuff all the time. It's just workouts that you've selected and sessions that you've selected are reserved Mm -hmm. for that specific structuring of having that mixed intensity.
1: Yeah, and my rule of thumb has always been twice per week. Right. So if if you're not training for the marathon under me, you're training for a half marathon and below, as a general rule, you're going to do a Tuesday workout, a Friday workout, a Sunday long run, Right. or if you have religious convictions, it might be Monday, mm-hmm. Thursday, Saturday, Saturday, something like that. Right. Well, the long run is the general rule when you're um, not training for the marathon, you're not training for events that are longer than, then uh you know somewhere in the 70 or 80 minute range if you're not training for events longer than that then there's no need really as a general rule to run your just long runs fast right right
0: and it just and,
1: and the main reason is Evan, mm-hmm. is that i want you to have the sufficient energy to do your other two key workouts say the tuesday friday workout well right, right. i don't want you to do the Wednesday uh, sunday long run too fast and then only have 48 hours to bounce back, and you do a subpar Tuesday workout.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally makes sense. What um, happens
1: is injury rates also go up. You run too fast in your long run on Sunday, and say you're a 5K runner.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you run too fast in your long run on Sunday, two days later, when you have to do a key workout, let's say the coach prescribes some repeat 800s for you, your legs are stiff still,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and your coordination is not there like it mm-hmm. needs to be. and as a consequence you're trying to hit those times you're trying to do a solid workout you're of the belief that i've trained hard i can get better
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the problem is you're pushing through psychologically pushing Mm -hmm. through what your body can't handle you're Mm -hmm. trying to push through but your body's not not there it's stiff it's achy um it's not fluid and you're using bad mechanics bad form bad rhythm and you're certainly not improving your running economy, your efficiency, right. and you're certainly not improving your ability to relax, Right. which is always what the best runners have going for them when they compete. They make it look easy because they have practiced relaxing mm-hmm. when they're at a high speed. Right. And how are you supposed to relax at a high speed during a workout when you're all stiff and beat up?
0: Right. You can't. Right. Yeah, that totally
1: you simply he simply can't.
0: Yeah, um,
1: <clears throat> we a... It's also why Evan Isa run slowly on your on Easy your days. days between your keyword cuts. Right. It, and Drew and I were talking extensively about this this morning via chat. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about it, communicating.
0: And Drew is I'm, Drew Hunter, who's fantastic, fantastic runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And and we were going off, because Drew is is not just a runner, but. He's a guy, much like the rest of guys on my team, who, who's a thinker. Mm-hmm. He wants to understand more and more and more and more how all these principles, concepts, physiology uh, terms, and so on, apply. Mm-hmm. And 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 part of it is his intellectual curiosity, just like the other guys on my team. Part of it is an under is if they they can use the information uh, as as they're running workouts. Mm-hmm. I can't run the workouts for them right. as the coach. I can't be their legs. Mm-hmm. They still have to make decisions. If they understand the concepts, they can make on live adjustments, on the go adjustments. Right, and that's what Drew is hunting or Drew is hunting for. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, you know. But we talked extensively this morning about running slowly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said. Basically, the, the norm used to be running six minutes a mile if you're an elite guy on your so-called easy days. Right. But all I say is um, that makes it difficult to run your repeat 400s, 800s, 1200s or whatever with skill. Mm-hmm. See, the one thing if, if I really wish I could go back in time and measure the running economy of of elites, say, in the 70s and 80s is now the people that are applying the concept. Mm-hmm. Of going slowly you would see probably their their um the amount of oxygen and, and kilocalories they use to run a given speed now is mm-hmm. less than it was then and that's the major predictor is why they're running faster right it's not that their vo2 max now is higher right and right. it's certainly not that the will will or the 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 mind set now is better than it was then right i would guess the vast majority, of, and say having been around a lot of the guys from the '70s and '80s, they they're tough people, right. tough runners. You couldn't be more competitive and driven, and they didn't have money. Mm-hmm. There was no money in this sport. They were doing it for the pure love of the
0: sport. Right, very motivated.
1: Right. Yeah, they were motivated intrinsically. Right. So that wasn't a factor. The one difference is possibly shoe wear,
0: mm.
1: and certainly now with a which is a big. If we were talking about track spikes, and let's say three years ago or five years ago. Sure, track spikes were probably not that much different in the, in the late '70s, early '80s. Significantly different than they were five years ago,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I would say some of the times have dropped simply because the economy is better,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: I would I would suggest anybody who's interested in understanding uh, how this concept plays out is look at the research you can just go on to something like uh, you know scholar.google and search for running economy mm-hmm. and, and various populations and compare say the kenyans versus the, the europeans mm-hmm. and you will find that people like dr ben saltine of denmark mm-hmm. he's deceased now one of the best researchers of all time along with dr david costell ben saltine measured all kinds of kenyans and all kinds of europeans and found their vo2 max values were identical mm-hmm. the top europeans The one thing that was different was their running economy. Right. He never, ever answered why. (laughs) And I don't think he thought of it. Right. Or if he did, he certainly didn't explain it. I think the major reason my speculation is the reason the running economy is so much better than the Kenyan is they ran slowly because of their culture. I've said this several times in recent weeks. People have asked me in podcasts or whatever. I said, look, the culture of of the Kenyan group is very social.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: super social. They're very nice people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hang around them for a while and you'll find out they're incredibly friendly people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They believe in being kind to each other. And you will find that they love to socialize on their easy runs, on their non-key workouts. I learned this in Eugene, Oregon. when I lived a quarter mile from Alton Baker Park in apartments, my mm-hmm. wife and I. And I'll go run on the trails and a few, several days before the pre-fontaine, some runners would arrive, Ethiopians and Kenyans, particularly the Kenyans, they arrived kind on of a Monday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Saturday was the race. And I'd say, I could hear them a half mile away chatting <laughs> on the Alton Baker. It's called they call it Pre's Trail in Alton Baker Park. It's yep. you know, a few miles around. It's the outer skirt is like three and three-quarter miles around. You could hear them a half mile away chatting. Mm-hmm. And I kept turning my head and wondering, where are they? I thought they were right next to me. It sounded like they were on top of me. Right? They would do this for a long period of time. I'd finish up my run. It was like five miles or something. And I'd sit there and just, you know, on the bridge. And I'd see them go by and they're chatting. And an hour later, they're still jogging along at eight minutes a mile and chatting, chatting, chatting. It dawned on me. You know what? This is their culture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When they're all business, when they're on the track and doing their key faster workout, like at South Eugene High School on Tuesday morning, mm-hmm. right? I'd see them over there and they're running repeat thousands in 232, 235, something like that, right? Or the women are running them in 242.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But when they're running their easy distance runs, they're really running slowly and they do, and, and it may be simply from the fact that it's a cultural context, mm-hmm. cultural manifestation. But that's also why when Ben Saltine measured him, along with people like Dr. Varenk Bilad and others in Europe, that their economy was so much better. I suggest because they're running slowly on their on their recovery runs. Mm-hmm. And so their muscles are not tight when it comes time to do their fast track workouts. Mm-hmm. And so they're running with their tra- fast track workouts with muscles that are supple, loose. And their stride is fluid. Mm-hmm. And if you do enough track workouts with skill, imagine what happens. Your energy requirement to run a given pace goes down. So that's why their economy was so much better. People can do all this. Oh, they're anthropometrics, and their their lower leg, their calf muscles are smaller, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nah, you know what, that, that's a small one. Uh, that's a small reason why. Because I've measured people in the lab who had big calf muscles and a good running economy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But those very same people that I measured in the lab who had running eco- good running economy were ones that were slackers. Uh, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't keep up with the pack and they're easy. They just jogged along. A good example was a guy named Paul Krieger. Mm-hmm. I think it was Paul that I measured. And he had a fantastic economy. He had big calves. He was a steeplechaser. He was from Germany. He was really good. Measured his economy. He was really great. Really great. Huge calves. But what would Paul do? Man, he dived along like seven and a half, seven minutes a mile was fast for him. On an easy day. On an easy day. The rest of the guys were going 630 pace or something. He didn't keep up with them. He just went off on his own and ran on the trails. He liked being by himself because he didn't want to be pushed.
0: Mm-hmm. I'll
1: tell you another one that had probably great economy back in the day was David Moorcroft of England. Right? Mm-hmm right he ran 13 flat point 42 world record 1982 okay he did that in oslo norway that season he ran a 34968 he ran a 732 and changed it in in in, uh, in white city there or whatever it, what it is i forget the name of the meet in in uh, london uh he ran a, a 146 which was his pr in the 800 which i find amazing cuz now he's trained into 5k and he set the pr in the 800 Right, and he put right. the PR in the mile, and he'd been a miner for many, many years before that. Consistently a 350 type, 55 type miner, mm-hmm. training like a miner, 70 miles a week, and lots of fast 400s and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then then Dave Anderson, his coach, was a P, elementary PE teacher. Said, "Look, look, let's move you up to the 5000. We'll start doing longer repeats, like repeat thousands. We'll bump your mileage up to 90." But what did David Moorcroft do? He would not run. He was in a club, running club. Mm-hmm. He would not run with his teammates on the easy days because he wanted to run along at 630 pace, which was a jog for him.
0: Right. If you're running
1: 13 flat. Yeah. 5K. yeah. He wouldn't run with them because his quote, it was in Athletics Weekly, which is a major uh, publication in England, mm-hmm. that they run too dang fast because they're running like 540, 530 pace on their easy days, the rest of the guys. Right. He's like, I don't want to do that. Right. Tell you another one. I always talked about this to my guys, Arturo Barrios, world mm-hmm. record ten thousand meters. I think he still lives in Eugene. I mean, I still lives in Boulder. I'm not sure. Right. He was, he trained by himself all the time. He ran out the Boulder res reservoir by himself. He didn't do uh, workouts with other people. He didn't do the distance with other people. I suggest it's because he was super self-aware of what he needed. He didn't want to get caught in the trap of doing too fast runs on his easy days. When, when Rob D Costello lived here, Mm -hmm. Right. he used great marathoner, wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. marathoner. Man, he had a whole bunch of 20, 207s to 209s, whole bunch of them. And uh, anyway, he lived in Boulder. He moved from Australia. He moved, lived in Boulder for a few years. Mm-hmm. He would run super slowly, super slowly. He'd run along 630 a mile. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, you know Frank Short was in his prime. He was running 630 a mile. Rodgers, most of the time, wasn't running that fast on his distance. When he had a key day and he was pushing hard, he was. Just like Frank Shorta. when he had a key day, he was pushing hard. Right. But I would suggest they had energy in that tank because they weren't beat up for running their distance runs too fast.
0: Right. They so right.
1: they followed the so-called 80-20 concept all the right. time. They either ran very, very
0: comfortably or they got after it mm-hmm. during the key workout. I want to... Is- Squeeze it. Uh, we, we have time for two more questions. Uh, quick questions first. Uh, this one comes from Ian. But to preface it, um, you do uh, coaching yourself, so you obviously have a group, but you also take online clients. Sure, uh, and you also coach with Stride, so that's why you've been able to talk about you know your, mm-hmm. your recommendations and stuff. But you are actively. Uh, taking in clients now too, and you're actively coaching with stride. So just to let people know that are on the stream watching that, but uh, Ian has a question. um, And I think we only have time for two quick ones. Uh, The first one is uh, with your athletes who use stride, where does their CV align with a percent of their critical power? Is it roughly equal a range or regularly slower factor? So you, you've talked about CV being that 30 minutes uh, effort, that 30-minute hard effort. And then percent of CP, if people are familiar with Stride, um, we use like that auto-calculated model. Uh, so it's that, that number that just looks at your workout. Um, but how does uh, your, your elite athletes, or maybe your athletes that use Stride, where does your CV align with your critical power?
1: Well, you guys have a different model, and uh, I usually I use 90% of the power they can run for seven minutes all out. Mm-hmm.
0: So you have your system set up for that to collect?
1: Yeah, and I use calculus. I use logarithms and exponentials in a multifactorial uh, equation. But uh, I, I typically, for example, will use somebody's 5K time because they run it all the time. You know, that's a frequent event. In, around, in America and around the world. And then I do a regression equation, um, nonlinear regression equation to predict what they could run for seven minutes all out. And then I have an equivalency for Watts per kilogram because you can't use Watts. Right. right. Watts is a good starting point, but you must understand that it's everything is relational.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. On my team, for example, I have uh, my Tim and elite team. I have guys ranging from 123 to 167 pounds. Right. Okay, so whatever that is, fifty-three to I don't know uh, seventy-three kilograms, off the top of my head, just yeah, roughly. Sure, sure. But when you divide when you divide the watts that they uh, produce by their body weight in kilograms, and you then you understand that they're fairly equivalent.
0: Right, they're all very in that close band.
1: Right, but but Sydney on the te- on our team is quite light. You know, he might train at a full eighty watts lower than somebody. Like, uh, um, like Joey Berry, too, who's one of our bigger runners, right? Right. Full 80 watts per mile difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to understand that everything should be divided by your body weight in kilograms. And also it might be an exponent below that, but that's part of my research. Well, actually my dissertation, I'm not going to be able to do it what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I just found out that I can't do a laboratory assessment for my doctoral research because of the coronavirus so uh either i gotta wait all the way till next year or i gotta retool and do different research so i'm going to do and i'm re- bringing this up simply because i'm going to need subjects uh, participants i am mean, need recreational runners and elite runners and i'll probably have to do this outdoors i was going to do indoor laboratory testing and and provide uh provide more understanding of the relationship of running economy and uh an exponent factor um, but I'm going to have to do this outdoors. So I'm going to do some time trials outdoors, some short and medium distance time trials, and then I'm going to create an individualized profile. So anybody who participates in my study, um, we'll get an individualized profile to be able to use the um, recommendations to um, adjust their training to their individual needs. Make sense?
0: Yeah, oh yeah, That's super cool. Um, I have one last question here from Hillgrove cross country coach, Jonathan Gambrell. Um, he says, how would you envision using stride pods for an entire high school team, just for the top runners, try for the whole team to use them, but how would you maybe see in a current, um, climate, a a high school coach could, could use stride to their advantage?
1: Well, to some degree, it depends upon the financial capacity of that, uh, you know, district. If if you have, uh, you know, you have upper, upper middle or upper class um, parents that can afford it, then yes, mm-hmm. um, I think because it's not, you know, I mean, we're talking about a technology that rec- it's thousands, hundreds of thousand of dollars have been put into developing, so they can't give it away free. Okay, but if you have the capacity to buy. Um, to buy the power meters, I think it's absolutely wonderful for an entire range of abilities on the team. For one thing you can, as a coach dial in, um, you can connect, I should say, you can connect your concepts. that You're trying to teach them about, for example, running really, truly easy on your easy days, you know, to some actual numbers. Mm -hmm. You can show, for example, the kid on the team, it's a 24 minute 5k runner. That they're running at eighty percent of their max aerobic power in their easy days when they should be running sixty, right? Because the power will tell you. And you run out in the grass course or you roll in the undulating course. Jonathan Gambrell is a is a is, a, is not only a, uh, a good really good coach in Georgia, but he's also a chemistry teacher. I happen to know Jonathan because we went to. He's a level three USATF endurance coach as well. Um, but he may send his kids out in the rolling hills around Atlanta mm-hmm. and he can show the kids with, with the power meter that, look, you were running about 10% too fast. Right. Right. Your power. I got an instant. I got instant data here that shows, you know, after you get home and upload, it looks like you were running it at a tempo pace. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to be running easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we need to slow you down. I'm gonna figure out ways if, if I'm putting myself in Jonathan's shoes. I'm gonna put my I'm gonna find ways of slowing down you guys so that you do what's appropriate, relatively appropriate. See the top kids on my team, they really should be running 715 a mile. Mm-hmm. Because cause, cause their power shows that they're running at 60% of their max of power. Their power data shows it. Mm-hmm. But you guys are running eight minutes a mile, lagging behind them, and you're running at 80%. Mm-hmm. You're way too fast. I'm mm-hmm. going to set up some mechanism to measure it. So I'm going to set up a half mile loop or a half mile or a mile loop for mm-hmm. easy runs. And you're going to come by and I know what you're, and, and you're going to be able to look at your watch and see what your power is. And you're going to yell it out to me. Mm-hmm. And you better be close within five watts of where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Donathan and I can talk about this, but we can do equation conversion. And we'll watch per kilogram and tell you what exactly the power, the pace would be on that particular course, whether it's undulating or not. But the power will help guide, Mm -hmm. right, guide how you do things, um, whereas the GPS may not be entirely appropriate. Right. But the power can also be a great tool for helping teach the concepts to those high school kids. Right. Look, you're supposed to be around 60%. Okay, now we're doing CV. You're supposed to be around 90%, not 98%, okay. 90%. Right. You know, And then he can teach the concept because Jonathan understands this, that 90% is really improving the number of mitochondria you have, the amount of enzymes in a ha- they have, the ability to process available oxygen. We're targeting the faster and immediate muscle fibers. Right. When we start going up here to 97 98%, our major emphasis then is the heart. We're trying mm-hmm. to improve the heart's capacity, to pump blood. But you don't need, you don't need to do that very often. A little goes a long way. It's sort of like salt in your food. A little okay. goes a long way. We don't need a lot of VO2 max. So let's not do 97, 98% for these repeat thousands. Let's dial it back to the power you're supposed to have. All right. You're supposed to be running 16 watts lower than you are right now because that will develop the aerobic ability of fast intermediate fibers without crushing you. Mm -hmm. And you'll be able to have several weeks in a row of uninterrupted training and you'll get stronger and stronger and your aerobic ability will get better and better because you'll notice it in the race that you don't slow down as much. Mm -hmm.
0: In a high school athlete, might even be able to let's just say uh, you race every one to two weeks, you might be able to help that uh, athlete understand that they might be improving over the course of the season, but maybe a course is harder and their time is 20 seconds slower, but exactly.
1: you're
0: exactly. up by 0.15 versus two weeks mm-hmm. ago. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I totally stand by your point of illustrating to High school kids is a hard thing to get across, like the subjects of, you know, how they train or how how a coach wants to help athletes understand training and stuff. But I I think that, yeah, that's a great point to help the athletes understand from the coach's perspective, too.
1: Well, you know, in the South where Jonathan's located, uh, not only do they have variations in on their course profile just like other places do there are some locations around america where the courses are mostly flat because they're right. just not that many hills right. but you know in jonathan's case he might they might go one week uh to a, a rolling golf course right and it's 83 degrees mm-hmm. and then a week later they're running on a course as there's a course down there that's really challenging they use it for the state meet it's really big hills and they may run – the athletes may only run uh, 17, 12, say, in, instead of 17 minutes. Sure. And they think that they're not getting worse. Right. And the normal coach, you know, the one that doesn't understand these little nuances would say, you need to concentrate more. You need to – when it gets tough. Well, Jonathan knows, no, no, no. that's not the case. It's a hillier course. And mm-hmm. Now with stride power meters, he can prove, look – you actually averaged seven watts higher on this course, even though you ran twelve seconds slower. Right, it was that a better time If you do a little bit of the math, you right. actually ran twenty-four seconds faster than you did the previous week, if you were right. to run on the same course. Right, totally. And if the weather's there, and that's a factor, that weather changes down there. It's ninety-one degrees one week and eighty-three another. That can be factored. You can look at the book that I co-authored with Pete McGill and Melissa Breyer. I got it. uh, I think it's page 56. You can see you can convert, right? What it is uh, by heat index at 52 and a half degrees. You know, that's optimal. Well, you're 75 one week and you're 92 another week. Well, if you look at the chart, you can see, okay, that's a 17 second
0: differential. Right. You can start to understand. But your power would reflect to a degree some of that as well. Yes, exactly. Um, we have a couple of people who were saying in the chat after you mentioned your your study. Can you talk just a little bit about before we wrap up um, what you might be looking for in people that might want to uh, help participate in the study?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at uh, tentatively two different groups:
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, elite runners defined as basically within seven percent of the Olympic Trials qualifying standard. So uh, off the top of my head, that would be probably somebody you can run in the upper 29s in the 10K, right? Let's say is seven or something. That's approximately. And then I need recreational runners. So I need to have groups that are not crossover. I can't have a bunch of guys that are 14.55 guys when 14.25 is the cutoff because that'll skew the results. I want to see if there really is a difference between recreational runners and elite runners in terms of their endurance index and profile. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for people say males that are in the Boulder area, 17 minutes to 21 minutes as an example, or females uh, say 19 uh, to 23 minutes for 5K. And then I'm looking for males who are say roughly 14, 25 or under um, at sea level, that sort of thing. Or females that would be, you know, maybe another 30 seconds slower than that. Right. 45 seconds slower than that. Anyway, my point is um I will post I will post it um, around Eugene. I'm not I keep saying Eugene. <laughs> I guess I kind of like Eugene right. uh also when I was there, but I'll post it in running stores. uh um, if I f- have somebody help me figure out how to do it on in Instagram, because I'm not a technology guy sure. and maybe it's my age. Maybe my guys on the team will help me. i will post it on an Instagram or something like that, the kinds of uh, runners, times that I, I need, um, and how to, how to get a hold of me to be a participant in the study, that sort of thing. Okay. Um, um, basically, if, if I end up doing what I think I'm going to have to do instead of the laboratory research, I'll probably have something like a 200-meter time trial, an 800-meter time trial, and either a 2,000 or a 3,000-meter time trial Mm-hmm. Um, the shorter time trials will probably be done in the same day, mm-hmm. such as the 200 meter time trial. And then you have a 30 minute rest and then you do an 800
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: four days later you do the longer time trial, 2000 or 3000. And then what I'm going to do is profile, and So I'll be able to identify your aerobic and anaerobic, your speed components and put it into regression equations. And then you get a, uh, I'm going to go one step further in my dissertation is I'm going to. Um, provide you with a document that shows you where what your profile is and some recommendations. Very cool. What you can do for your own training.
0: Very very cool. Um, yeah. So the last question that uh, Angus just sent is: if somebody was interested in uh, coaching from yourself, where should they contact you, and where can people learn more about oh, okay. you?
1: Good question. Uh, runfastcoach.com. That's the best place to go runfastcoach.com awesome. so you'll see um i have coaching services there and a training plan option so those awesome. are two options training plan is um i design it a personalized a training plan for you and then once i design it you're on your own awesome okay if you want the coaching service it's an interactive ongoing i adjust your training as needed um and life is life is variable you know you cancel this race you had that race you're sick you're injured you're, you got to travel for business. In high school situations, races get canceled all the time. You wouldn't believe how often it happens. Right. So what do you do? Well, if you have a training plan, uh, you're gonna have to, you know, adjust on your own. Right. But if you have me, I will adjust for you. Right. And you're gonna learn something along the way too. I'll t- talk to you. You're gonna learn more about things like, uh, you know um recovery or strength training and so on and so forth i don't design specific strength training workouts i leave that to chris lee my strength coach someone like that yep um but i have uh, all kinds of info uh pete pete mcgill melissa Bryan. and i have all kinds of info in our book uh, build your running body 328 uh, illustration or um, pictures of runners doing uh strengthening exercises routines in there that sort of thing that you can use um but I can tell you when to do the strength training and when to back off, when right. to do your core training, when to back off, rules of thumb,
0: that sort of thing. And that's runfastcoach.com.
1: Yes, that's correct, Evan.
0: Awesome. Um, cool. Well, Tom, I want to thank you so much. This was so informative. Uh, and I think people would love to get you back for another one in a couple of weeks. Um, even just to answer people's questions, people have you know, so much to ask and you have so much to answer. So. Um, Myself and the whole Stride team, thanks for a ton. I uh, hope everybody out there listening is is doing well, but uh, this wraps up this episode of the webinar. Thanks again, Tom, for coming on. We really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. And I would suggest one thing is if if we do this again, is we have people write in questions ahead of time, Yes. we'll address what the community out there, the running community wants to hear. Whether you're a coach or whether you're a runner, mm-hmm. uh,
0: submit your questions.
1: Absolutely. Um, and perhaps Stride can create a way of doing
0: that. Yeah, absolutely. We will, uh, we'll for sure talk about it as soon as we uh, end this webinar. But this was so exciting. Uh, I think that is everything. Producer Gus, you're uh, good, good to wrap it up. Thanks again, Tom. <laughs> you're welcome, Evan. Take care.